thankful that you are able to take what man intends for evil, what man intends to destroy like a cross, and you are able to turn it into something beautiful that assures our victory in you. Victory in life, victory in death, victory now, victory forevermore if we have a relationship with you. As we open up your word, we pray that we would be awed by that victory. As we read about your Holy Spirit and what he has here to do in our lives, I pray that we would fully surrender ourselves to you today. And we pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. Well, to invite you to take your Bible, look with me in Romans chapter 8. We are spending just a few weeks working through this chapter, uh, what some would say is the greatest chapter in the Bible. It's certainly one of the most significant chapters in the Bible when it comes to its content. It teaches us the great doctrines like our sinfulness, the sacrifice of Jesus. It teaches us about salvation that is by faith alone. It, it teaches us how God works to sanctify us, to cause us to be more like Jesus Christ. It, it speaks to us about how God is faithful to us as we go through seasons of suffering. Now, there are several themes that you'll find in this chapter, the greatest chapter in the Bible, and one of those themes is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in this one chapter is mentioned no less than 17 times. It is a theme of Romans chapter 8. So this morning, we're going to look at this idea. We're going to try to understand this concept. What a difference the Spirit makes. Now, we try to understand God as He exists in relationship to Himself. We call that the Trinity. The Trinity, one God, Father, Son, and and spirit. Now we feel somewhat comfortable maybe talking about the Father and the Son. Maybe we are somewhat familiar with the idea of God the Father and God the Son, but we are less familiar, we are less comfortable talking about the Holy Spirit. We feel somewhat reserved to uh, fully embrace what Scripture teaches us about the Holy Spirit. In fact, there was a, a pastor, former pastor, named Francis Chan. He wrote a book several years ago, and he titled the book, The Forgotten God, How We've Neglected the Holy Spirit. I think maybe what's happened is that we have allowed other religious groups to scare us away from the Holy Spirit. Maybe we see some things that, that are taking place that that's maybe some, you know, some people who follow Jesus are kind of weird. Do you know that? And maybe, do you know you're probably sitting by a couple of them right now? Do you know that? Maybe some groups uh, are doing some things and they claim by the Spirit. For example, this morning I got here to church. And, and when I came here to church, of course, this is Halloween. It's also Reformation weekend, Reformation Sunday. When I got here to church, I noticed some posters hanging on the front doors of the church. And I went to investigate that a little bit closer. And somebody came over. We're going to figure out who it was. And, and if, if you're here this Sunday, this will be the last Sunday you're here because I'm about to make you mad. Uh, 
I noticed some things that were posted uh, around the church. Every door on this campus, and I walked by, and this campus has a lot of doors. Every door on this campus had a updated, progressive version of Martin Luther's 95 Theses. Now, I think it was one poor door for 95 doors, and that's what it felt like. 15 minutes in, my watch said, are you doing a workout? That's how busy it was to get all those down for you because it had some really weird stuff. Now, whoever did that, that person would say that they did that by the unction of the Holy Spirit. If that's the Spirit that's leading you, I don't want that one, right? <laughs> you see, some people do some weird things, and, and maybe that's why we're a little gun-shy when it comes to the Holy Spirit. So, on one, in one sense, it's true. The Holy Spirit is given credit for things with which he has nothing to do with. Yet, at the same time, we maybe need to examine our lives, and we may need to repent this morning for our neglect of the Holy Spirit and seek to be influenced by Him more than we are. Paul begins this greatest chapter of the Bible, as we saw last Sunday, talking to us about the difference that a Savior makes, and he continues in this chapter by showing us the difference the Spirit makes. Let's read our text, Romans chapter 8. Let's begin in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or daughters, children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Did you catch the repetitive word that came up, Spirit, Spirit, Spirit? There's more Spirit in these verses maybe than any other grouping of verses we find in Romans chapter 8, that there's a constant emphasis on the Spirit. So this morning, let's just look at what Paul said, and let me draw out from what he said three things that the Holy Spirit does for the believer, things that he's doing for us if we as followers of Jesus will surrender to him and allow him to have his will and way in our lives. These are three things that if you are not part of the family of God, these are three things the Holy Spirit would love to do in your life if you'll surrender your life to the Lordship and salvation provided by Jesus Christ. The three things. First is this. The Holy Spirit provides us with the power to overcome sin. Okay, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to overcome sin. Look at what he said in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We are not indebted to live according to the flesh anymore. When he mentions those first two words, so then, that points us back to the point that Paul made back in verses 1 through 11. Namely, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 
So what Paul is saying is that because Jesus put an end to sin through his death on the cross, we are no longer obligated to sin. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you possess the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit possesses you. Therefore, you are no longer bound to sin. You are no longer held captive to obey the desire and the dictates of sin. You are no longer Flip Wilson. You cannot say the devil made me do it. Some of you have to Google, younger folks Google that reference later, okay? You're free from that bondage. You're no longer obligated to. They see before your salvation, you had one nature and one nature only. It was a sinful fallen nature. No one had to teach you to sin, did they? You knew how to do that by yourself. No one had to model to you how to rebel against parental authority. As a kid, before you can even remember it, you were so young. You told your parents, no. You got a spanking because you were disobedient obedient to their authority, or maybe you should have anyway, right? I mean, no one teaches us to sin. We know how to rebel. We were slaves to sin. Now, you may have had a moment or two when you did right or spoke right or thought right, but your default position was to run to sin. You say, Pastor, I never did anything really bad. Well, that means that your default position was to run to the sin of self-righteousness. You thought you did everything right. Either way, before Jesus, we were held captives to sin. However, praise be to God, at our salvation, the Holy Spirit was given to us, and the Holy Spirit is more powerful than sin, and the possession of the Holy Spirit releases you from the power of sin. If then you're struggling with sin today, If it seems to have power over you, it's a sign that either the Holy Spirit's not there or you haven't surrendered fully to him. You see, last week we said that the death of Jesus releases you from the penalty of sin. That his resurrection releases you from the power of sin because it's through his resurrection. Catch this. It's through his resurrection that the Holy Spirit has been given to his followers. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 14, the verses on your screen. John chapter 14, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it either sees him nor knows him. You know him. Followers of Jesus, you know him, for he dwells with you. And will be in you. You're released from the penalty of sin by the blood. You're released from the power of sin by the Spirit. But you've got to rely on that Spirit. You see what he says in verse 13? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Our job then is by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. Even though you're saved, even though you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you still struggle with sin. Sin is still very much alive in you. You are not perfect. You are still a sinner. But the difference is that now you have the Holy Spirit who gives you the ability to choose to honor God by denying self and defeating sin. But listen, never forget that there will always be a struggle to sin. Never forget that sin is a predator. And that predator is always on the prowl with one single goal. Sin's goal is to destroy your life. No matter how far you've gone in the Christian life, no matter how many years you've been following Jesus, no matter how many Bibles you've read and owned, you will struggle with sin. There is a battle within us and between our fallen sinful flesh and the Spirit of God. We must make the choice every day to honor God. You say, Pastor, I can't make that choice. That's the point. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who gives you the ability to make that choice. Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 5. He said, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. That's your job. Walk by the Spirit. The Spirit is walking. You're walking by the Spirit. You're not behind the Spirit. He's off doing this. You're doing that. You're not from the Spirit. You are walking by the Spirit. You're staying step in step with the Spirit. You're you're seeking the things the Spirit leads you to. You're loving the things Jesus loves. You're being led by the Spirit. Uh, But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Can I get a witness there? You know what it is to do right, but you don't make that choice. Anybody? Yeah, that's all of us. And here's that struggle we have. With the power of sin. There was a guy, he's, he's been dead a long time. He's an old English Puritan named John Owen. He wrote a book. And if you don't have this book, you should uh, get it for your own stocking stuff for this Christmas. It's called The Mortification of Sin. In that book, The Mortification of Sin, many things John Owen says, but one of the things he says is this. It's one of my favorite quotes outside of the Bible. Be killing sin. Or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin. Or sin will be killing you. Let's just get uncomfortable for just a moment. Most of us don't kill sin. We flirt with it. Most of us, instead of killing sin, we try to tame sin. You know, there aren't many people who have a pet tiger. I know you probably know some person who does, probably the same person put those things on the church doors this morning. But most people we know and most people we don't know don't have a pet tiger. If by chance you have a pet tiger, 
when that tiger bites you, don't call me. <laughs> because you should not be, I mean, you call me, I'll pray for you. Well, maybe very pastoral. May I put it like this. Do call me, but I'm going to tell you, Haha, I told you. <laughs> don't be shocked if your tiger bites you. Because a tiger's going to do what tigers are meant to do. If you have a pet sin and you try to tame it and you try to domesticate it, don't be surprised when it comes up and bites you. Because sin's going to do what sin is meant to do. And the wages of sin, Scripture says, is death. You will always have to fight sin. And the only way you can win that fight is by relying on the power of the Holy Spirit within you because the Holy Spirit alone, Paul tells us, can put to death the deeds of the body as you live according to the Spirit of God that God has placed in you. The Holy Spirit is given to us. He provides us the power to overcome sin. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. They're shorter, I promise. Second, the Holy Spirit provides the means to make you like Jesus. The Holy Spirit provides the means to make you like Jesus. Would you look in your text again at verse 14? In verse 14, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Just a side note, when he says sons, he doesn't mean only men. In that culture, the son is who received the inheritance. So he uses that. It's, it's not diminishing or, or displacing women. He means sons and daughters of God. Just like when Paul talks about the bride of Christ, that involves men. So does the analogy of son. It also involves daughters of God. So read that as the sons, the daughters, the children of God. If you, uh, are, if you are led by the Spirit of God, you are children of God. I want to share with you an unpopular truth that even some preachers behind pulpits today will no longer say. And I speak it not as one who makes it up. As I've told you before, I don't write the mail. I just deliver it. <laughs> that statement is this. God is more concerned with your holiness than he is your happiness. Now, I don't mean that God's a killjoy. I don't mean that God doesn't want you to be happy. For Pete's sake, I just preached eight sermons called hashtag blessed happy, all right? I'm not saying God doesn't want us to be happy. What I am saying is that God in no way desires for you to bypass holiness in your pursuit of happiness. See, we are led by God's Spirit. So if we're led God, by God's Spirit, the question becomes, where is the Spirit leading us? <laughs> if we're led by the Spirit of God, where is He taking us? And Scripture is clear. The goal of the Spirit is to lead us to become like Jesus Christ. The trajectory that the Spirit takes you in your life is for you to become like Jesus Christ. We're not going to dissect the verse. It's coming later in our series. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Paul clearly makes it very plain, very clear that our destiny as followers of Jesus is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Or how about John? John puts it this way, 1 John 2, 6. 
He says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If the Spirit is moving you in that direction, if the Spirit is leading you to walk as Jesus walked, Paul says you can be assured that you belong to God. If the Spirit is moving you in that direction, it's proof that you belong to the family of God. Understand that becoming like Jesus... It's a gradual process. And sometimes, are you like me? Sometimes you get discouraged because you, follow, you, you think that you follow Jesus pretty good on Sunday because after all, we're here at church, our Bibles are open, we're listening to preaching, and we're managing not to fall asleep, and we're singing, and we're everything else, and we feel close to Jesus, but, but Monday is going to Monday, right? And by the end of Monday, you think, you know what? I don't know that I follow Jesus as closely as I should. You ever face that discouragement? You ever face that frustration? And take heart and know this, that becoming like Jesus isn't accomplished in one day. Don't get discouraged if it seems like nothing, things aren't happening as fast as they need to happen. However, make sure they're happening. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Did you catch that? From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Lord who is spirit, that God gives us the Holy Spirit to move us to be like Jesus one degree to the other. The Spirit's goal is to make you like Jesus, to help you love what Jesus loves, to despise what Jesus despises, to seek what Jesus seeks, to do what Jesus does. When the Holy Spirit is within you, he is moving you in that direction. The question is, are you following him? The Holy Spirit's been given to us to give us the power over sin and to help us become more like Jesus. And third, the Holy Spirit provides the assurance of our relationship with God. He provides us with the assurance of our relationship with God. There's a verse 15 of our text says, For you did not receive the spirit from slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You've probably heard in some other context maybe that that word Abba in verse 15 is the English equivalent to, to daddy or to, to dada, that it's a, a term a toddler would use in speaking to a father. It's a term of tenderness and deep love that is unconditional. Our spirit longs for that kind of love and affection. Our spirit longs to have someone love us unconditionally. Our spirit longs to have someone pour that affection upon us. And that longing of our soul, it's not found in the relationships we have on this earth. Even the best parents let us down, if for no other reason that they can't be with us forever. It's the Spirit of God. That longing that our soul has is found in a relationship with Christ, and we experience that when we receive the spirit of adoption. And through the promises of Scripture, the Spirit assures us that we are fully loved by our Heavenly Father. We're fully protected in Him. Listen, we aren't slaves who need to be afraid of a vengeful master. We are children who stand secure in our Father's love. Jesus used that word, Abba, Himself. Jesus used it in a garden of Gethsemane. Only when Jesus cried out, Abba, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, Jesus was met with silence. 
<coughs> Jesus was forsaken so we could be forgiven. Jesus was pushed away so we could have the assurance of always being drawn close. And listen, when we are assured that God is our Father, it changes how you view everything. Because I am a member of God's family, because God is my Father, because Jesus is my Savior, I have an always watching, an ever tender, an all-powerful Father who promises to be with me through every circumstance of my life, who promises to use everything to accomplish His good and perfect perfect plan for your life, and it's the Spirit who gives me that assurance. You see, the Spirit, this assurance in this relationship with the Father through the Son, by the Spirit, it's not just for temporary life on this earth, it's for eternal life in heaven. Look at what he said in verse 17. If we are children of God, <coughs> then we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. As old preachers say, if this doesn't light you fire, your wood's wet. To understand that what Paul is telling us is that in adoption in the family of God, all that belongs to the adoptive parents becomes the possession of the Son. We are heirs of God, but if that's not enough, we are co-heirs with Christ. What Christ has coming to him, we have coming to us. Will you let that sink in? What is coming to Jesus is coming to us as well. Your future as a child of God is as secure as God himself. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to give us this assurance. This is why we can sing with all of our gusto and with all of our heart and with all of our faith, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a small foretaste it is of glory divine because we're an heir of salvation. We're a purchase of God. We've been born of his spirit. We've been washed in his blood. This is my story and this is my song to praise my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song praising my Savior all the day long. When you have that assurance, it puts a song in your heart as you go through the valleys and the mountains of life. And it's the Holy Spirit who gives us that assurance. So I ask you this morning, are you willing to forsake your sin so you can find forgiveness in Jesus today? When you find forgiveness in a relationship with Jesus, you experience the great love of the Father and the great power and assurance of the Holy Spirit. Forsaking your sin means that you recognize that you cannot save yourself. It means confessing your sin condition as a sinner to a perfect and a holy God. It means receiving through faith the gift of salvation that Jesus offers to you. It means surrender. Allowing God through the Holy Spirit to have complete control of your life and my question to you is very simple. Has there been a time when you let go of that and asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? That you've forsaken your sin, turned your back on your sin, 
and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never done that in your life, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't possess him and he does not possess you. And this power to overcome sin, you don't have. This means to make you like Jesus is not at your disposal. This assurance of your future, it's not there. But it can be in a relationship with Jesus. If there's never been a time in your life when you've prayed and asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, we're going to invite you to do that today. Just a second, I'm going to pray. And if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you've never forsaken your sin, as best as you know how, right where you are, as I pray, you pray to God. And you confess your sin to God. You repent of that sin. You ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Receive the gift of salvation that he's offering you today. What about you, believer, who are already, you walked in this room today, you are a member of God's family. Are you following the Holy Spirit? He's leading Are you walking with him? Are you trying to stay a few steps back? Or maybe you're trying to get a few steps ahead. Walk with the Spirit. It's the most sure place for you to be. Let's bow this morning. Father, as we place ourselves before you, we're thankful that Jesus lived the life we could never live and he died the death we should have died so that we could be saved. Father, we're thankful this Holy Spirit's given to us when we have a relationship with Jesus and that the Holy Spirit is to do a work in our lives and we're thankful for that assurance that he gives us, for the power we have to overcome sin. I pray if there's one here today who's never placed their faith in you that right now as we pray that they would call out to you, confess their sins and ask you to be their Lord and Savior. I pray for those of us who made that decision sometime in the past that you would help us to follow you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.